What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everybody. My name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web tonight. We got special guest, the other Paul, famous uh, Theobro debater of master <laughs> quality. So he's going to be joining us. Uh, he is, you know, gone Anglican. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the state of the Anglican church as it relates over its battle uh, on homosexuality on a global scale. So there's a lot going on in the news right now, specifically with regards to this issue. And um, it, it, it's pretty global for the Anglican church. We're going to discuss and get into the nitty gritty of it. And we're also going to do a meme review as well, courtesy of the followers on the Twitter sphere. So they get to uh, set the, you know, you guys had the chance to submit your memes. I submitted a few uh, just to ask for turf the algorithm. And I had some memes that I wanted for this occasion to be discussed, but we got some feedback, some interesting feedback as well. So uh, how are you doing tonight? Other Paul? I'm doing excellent. It is only just turned noon right now and it is a fine blue cloudless sky outside. So it is going very nice and lovely right now. Yeah, it's uh, we've had a, a slow spring, but spring is definitely where I'm at. And we didn't really have a winter, so there's no snow where I lived. And I'm looking at California getting a bunch of snow. It's like we didn't get any of that, but we're latitudinally the same. You know, Maryland is on the same latitude as Lisbon, Portugal, if that's any perspective. Mm. So maybe we just shouldn't expect that okay. much snow ever. So uh, potentially. <laughs> I doubt it, but I, yeah, I, I, there are some years where there's like two feet of snow, but yeah, it's been we we don't decade. we just don't get any we just we just don't get anywhere I am just none none in Sydney. We'll have we'll have paradise cold we'll have cold winters, quote unquote. But for you, that's probably like oh, this feels like spring for me. But uh, our summers our summers are where you'll die. It's probably it's probably like uh, uh, probably like good old James White down in Arizona. He he probably knows what we feel. Really. I, I got to get him on for an interview. Oh, hundred percent. No, that'll be awesome. <laughs> that would definitely be awesome. Two peas in a pod right there. Uh, yeah. I'd love to get his take on, you know, pre-sop and Thomism. <laughs> okay. Just, that'll be a fun one. <laughs> yeah. So it's because these classical apologists on Twitter just annoy me so much. That's the only reason they're, they're the worst <laughs> argument for uh, classical apologetics is the people on Twitter. <laughs> that are anal about it and put it above a pedestal. So uh, one of the last times we talked, I don't know if you're Anglican yet, 
and I know there was a time that we had you on where you were searching for a church. You bounced around. Mm -hmm. I know you've been to Hillsong, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot to say about that. Uh, did you oh, participate yeah. in any honorarium schemes? Man, I wish I could use an honorarium. <laughs> but, yeah, apparently he came to this country and got a DUI. Brian Houston did. And, you oh, know, yeah. unpopular opinion, just because I don't think most people have heard this argument, but DUIs are probably the biggest indicator of whether, you know, an immigrant or illegal or otherwise is going to commit future crime. Oh, and, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and it's not even a deportable, a deportable offense here in the United States. So mm. it really should be because that's like the number one crime. That's an indicator of future crime yeah. for that category. And, 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 and it has sense. to be done. It's not something that's just like that you can just mistakenly do like, oh, whoops, I slipped on a banana peel. Now I just chug down two bottles of VB or something. It's like you got to you got to you know the law. You got to deliberately choose to do that and to circumvent it. Like that is a, I agree with you. That's a very good indicator. Well, yeah. And, you know, so I'm on team to port Brian Houston if he's in the United States, but it's just interesting to see Hillsong family collapse, you know, since we're touching on Australia and the rest <laughs> of the uh, Anglosphere as it relates to the English language. Uh, and then one of the articles that I covered recently was one of the, churches that paid an honorarium to Hillsong, which was Church Home or Churchum, uh, which is Judah Smith's church, which has oh. uh, quarterback Russell Wilson or Russell Weirdo, as he's better called. Uh, <laughs> he's on their board of directors. So I, I just think that's wild. Like this is someone that, you mm. know, you know, is a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks huh. at the time, probably. And now he's with the Denver Broncos and he's terrible. <laughs> But he, uh, what's the way to put this? He, you know, championed abstinence up or waiting till marriage and then Snapchat, you know, his sex night, you know, oh, put geez. that on Snapchat. Oh. So that's the type of person that, that Russell Wilson is. To, to, I want to, I want to translate that for, um, cause I don't really know who that player is. I don't know how, po how, how popular is he? Like, uh, right generally. now, he's kind of a joke because, but like in terms of NFL, um, uh, how, he, how like five years ago, he was a, you know, top 10 quarterback easily. Okay. So top I'd 10. probably say to translate it for Australian, Australians and New Zealanders, um, one of the most well-respected and best like rug rugby players ever is a guy called Sonny Bill Williams. Um, imagine him being, being like, ordained like a, a mufti and put on some grand islamic council that's the equivalent of, of this yeah <laughs> it's funny that that church in particular also had you know heaven tourism filmmaker devon franklin on its board of directors and td jakes who doesn't even go there as far as i know so it seems like they have a pay system for you can pay enough money and be on the board but and then we got some news out of Hillsong NYC, which I think Carolyn McAllister is referencing here that Carl Lentz has announced his comeback. And he's also going to be doing a public heard, interview yeah. on a Hillsong documentary for FX, you know, because he's going to oh, you know, slam his old boss, even though he was rightly fired by Hillsong for yeah, rightly, yeah. cheating yeah, on his wife, who's reasonably attractive unless she has like implants or anything, which <laughs> is debatable. Uh, just looking at one picture, but <laughs> why, mate? <laughs> No, the, the woman that she, he cheated on her with was like five steps below that. Like, dude, what oh, are man. you doing I mean, here? Like, 
sin works in mysterious ways it does (laughs) it does like it's the whole tiger woods thing you know he he's very famous for his escapades and you know was it 2009 when he had the whole cheating thing on his wife and it was you know with like waitresses at these restaurants and all that and it's like now he you know tricked his girlfriend into leaving her his house and then threw all her stuff out or something like that so she wants to sue him and it's like you know if you're going to be a deviant you shouldn't be a cheapskate i think is you know his issue mm. but it, it's wild what athletes do in this mm. country and pastors as well yeah. uh to, to give a to give a little brief like semi insider stuff because it's not exactly global news things but because i I know people still who like go to Hillsong and that they actually just had their um, big AGM where they announced they they went through like the whole financial scandal stuff and they basically announced like total total revampings to like basically massively cap these because uh, everything that they did past Brian Houston it was all very unethical stupidly massive honorariums uh, massive tax free allowances and leeways and all but it was all spending on luxury hotels in your own yeah it was all legal that's the the big issue so there's not going to be anything criminal or legal or whatever happening but yeah in response to that in the agm they have announced i don't have the details with me just yet i'll have to ask but uh basically they're going to be starting introducing like massive caps now i think the one mitigating factor and this is just from an american's perspective is that those documents are probably using australian dollar which is not as you know, which is more inflated than the U.S. Yeah, dollar. So, right. you know, people will think that, oh, six dollar juice. You know, Bobby Houston <laughs> needs for six dollar yeah. juice. And in America, that just sounds really bad. Yeah. Put put it in perspective. I have to go to um, if I go down to the well, we call it the servo. That's the service station or the gas station, like just to get some snacks or whatever. If I want to get like a, a decent sized can of Pepsi. Um, I want to get like a bag of cheesels, like the, the chips, and they're already a bit more expensive there than they are in normal grocery stores. I want to get those two. That's going to set me back like 10 Australian dollars. So don't think American when you hear that. You're going to be like, what the heck? $10? No, no, no. It's Australian dollars. Don't worry. It, it may as well be the yuan at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, people need to understand that's probably the numbers, the currency they're using in Hillsong reporting. So it see, you know, I think Americans are, you know, hyping that up a little too much without mm. realizing that yep. nuance. Um, but anyway, you've since gone Anglican. So tell me about, right. you know, why you chose them as the, are they the one true faith or the one true faith in your uh, area of Christendom? Yeah. So anyone who's not Anglican, let him be anathema. Uh, no. So I chose it. I chose it because I I don't know if I am um, the last time I was on here. I don't know if I just because I, I actually became Anglican, quote unquote, last May. And I think I was on you sometime after that. September so I think it or August. Happened. So, OK. OK. Yeah. So it definitely happened after. But um, but I guess to kind of to kind of recap, I went Anglican initially, um, not out of anything like, oh, I'm well, I was disabused of like Pentecostal evangelical type uh worship and life and all that so i wanted to find something more traditional but i i wasn't um deliberately looking for like okay what's the best protestant denomination with the best theology and all that stuff i mean that, that was in the that was in the back of my mind kind of far back but it wasn't really a concern i was cool whether i'd go presbyterian or anglican or i wasn't thinking at the time but perhaps i would have even gone lutheran if there was a good one there um so i only only went anglican because um after a long time, a little bit after the lockdown. So I hadn't been to church for like a year and I just wanted to find a good and 
faithful church that's reverent, respectful of the Lord's teaching. It's not concert worship um, that I can just call my home. And uh, my initial preference was actually like a traditional Presbyterian church, um, but it wasn't like a super strong preference. Like oh, I'm super affirmation, super affirming of Presbyterian theology and not Anglican or Lutheran. It was just, it was just that. Um, and it was by providence that I met someone who told me about an Anglican church. I was actually very near me. Um, and I didn't even know about it. I thought it was like a heritage building or something. So went there and thought, Hey, I love, I love here. And then only after that, I thought, okay, let's see what I've signed up for. And then that's right after that is when I did my stream where I did like a live reaction to the 39 articles. Cause I hadn't, I hadn't even studied them before. So, uh, so that's, that's how I, that's how I went there. That's how I chose it initially just out of necessity. But now afterwards, having explored the Anglican uh, formularies, and those are like the foundational uh, documents, the Anglican tradition, that's like the, the Book of Common Prayer, the 39 articles and the two books of homilies. After studying them more and other Anglican sources, I've come to think, actually, no, the Anglican tradition is actually, in my opinion, the best expression of the Christian faith. So it eventually became a deliberate theological decision. So that's that's my story in some. Okay, so what exactly, you know, I'm I'm Baptist. I understand Presbyterianism. I understand a lot of the other, uh, you know, denominations in a sense. What make, but I I don't know what makes Anglicanism distinct because I'm pretty sure you can be a Calvinist and an Anglican. You can be mm-hmm. Wesleyan and an Anglican. So what, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm not entirely sure what makes a unique category other than perhaps ecclesiology. But what yeah, exactly um, makes it theologically stand out? Yeah, so Wesleyan and Anglican, uh, I know Wesleyanism drew from the Anglican tradition. I'm not sure if you can fully affirm the 39 articles and be a Wesleyan. I'm not really sure of that. Uh, you, you definitely can't affirm the Synod of Dort, which that that is um, that is uh, more taken by the Continental Reform, but the Synod of Dort was attended by and affirmed by many of the original Anglicans. So that, that is actually a big influence. Um, and for those who don't know, the Synod of Dort, that's, that's basically where... Um, that's basically where Tulip got inspired from. Tulip came much later, but that's pretty much where it came from. Very strong on the things of like the perseverance of the saints, for example, um, and divine election. Um, but other things make this thing, well, yes, this is ecclesiology. It is Episcopal. So, you know, we have, we have bishops and all that. We have a three, three holy orders of uh, deacons, presbyters, or priests and bishops, um, unlike the Baptists and the, I don't think like the, the Baptists just kind of have like any number of holy orders, like your senior pastor and your, I don't know, your regular pastor, your associate pastor, whatever. Uh, Presbyterians, they'll have their presbyters, like teaching and ruling elders and their deacons. But they that. also have the interconnected um, church court system. That's right. Yeah. They have, they have the, synod, they have the synodal system. The, too. Uh, what makes the Baptist or congregationalist <clears throat> view, uh, what their view is in a nutshell is the local church is the highest ecclesiastical authority which says a lot less about how that local church is then structured is an elder ruled mm. local church or is it a congr- you know a you know mm. member rule so that that's a slightly separate nuance of that issue mm. but yeah. you know local church is basically that versus yeah. on up but you guys have like a three three rungs yeah three tier holy orders um there's a there's a there's a very healthy balance. And to be fair, this is probably the same, even with like, this is the same with like Catholic churches as well. Although I, prob- I don't think to the same extent, but obviously even though it's a Episcopal system and it's synodal, so there's ruling bishops and the archbishop and all, and they have authority top down. But at the same time, there's a lot of discretionary power given to parish councils. So 
Um, there is like some overlap with congregationalist type of rule, um, though it's not completely congregationalist, obviously. Um, but I guess uh, theologically, so theologically, I would I would say that the Anglican tradition is fundamentally reformed, though not necessarily tulip or neo-Calvinist, if that makes sense. Um, there's more, there's, there's actually some more nuanced thinking of like monogistic theology back in like the earliest times of the Reformation that in the England tradition uh, adopts. Um, and what also would make it unique to the Baptists and to the Presbyterian, uh, not, uh, not necessarily always the Presbyterians, but certainly to most Baptists, um, would be that in the Anglican tradition, there is a very strong sense of Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper. So not necessarily the real presence, although importantly, that is actually an, a, a permitted view from my reading. So, um, so I'm familiar with the uh, Genevan view, which is that's right. probably the view that I would hold to. That's right, yeah. And, um, and then uh, that's, that's yeah, the view that's of the pretty Anglican much my Church. view as well. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's the view of the Anglican Church, although you, it's very common to find both like the Genevan view of like the kind of spiritual ascent to heaven uh, and also even 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 to an extent a Lutheran view. So that's actually tolerated uh, in the Anglican tradition. So that would be a distinct. Yeah, because the Lutheran so, view is, yeah. you know, like it's kind of a mix between, it's kind of like in between transubstantiation and uh, the Genevan view, I guess. I, I wouldn't really say in between. It's a bit... Um, has it's it's not really it's it's not really possible i don't think to say in between because it it works by very different categories it it um it very much takes for granted the categories of transubstantiation of the distinction between the accidents and substance but they say that um the substance unlike transubstantiation the substance of bread and wine is not annihilated in transubstantiation so catholics will say the substance of bread and wine is is gone as as far as i've read but the Lutherans will say it's still there, so it's like, it's kind of like a both and situation, okay. um, which is which is interesting, and that is permitted in the uh, Anglican tradition. But overall, um, even though initially I was quite vocally and open, a, uh, a a full on purely memorialist guy, I've since learned it's probably not possible to be a pure memorialist uh, in the in the Anglican tradition. Um, and I didn't I didn't change purely because of that, but I've genuinely come to think of like the Geneva view as like the better one, um, and so the that really does point to the true uniqueness of Anglican theology in that there are clear boundary markers for um, acceptable views in the Anglican tradition, but they're also not overly specific on what's allowed. So you can have a limited degree of diversity of views in certain issues, on, including on this issue. You can be a Genevan or, or a Lutheran view of the real presence. Like my good friend, Father James, who runs the channel Barely Protestant, and he, as far as I remember, he holds to a Lutheran view of the real presence. Um, likewise with baptismal regeneration as well, that's more or less a given in the Anglican tradition. That's very different to like Presbyterians and, and Baptists, although even with them, you can have diversity views of like what exactly is entailed by baptismal regeneration and that. Um, so yeah, those are some of the, those are some of the uniqueness, unique elements, but I'd say the most unique element is just the fact that they establish good and clear boundaries, but they don't choose to venture beyond that and enforce much more specific views than that if that makes sense and that's what i really love about it 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 um it establishes what i think are the most sensible and reasonable boundary markers for views and it chooses not to engage in further speculation for the most part and that's what i really like about the anglican tradition yeah i, th I think big tent is you know the big tent mm. you know the southern baptist yeah. convention you know tries to be a big tent uh and to <laughs> large too degree big, they are. Say. <laughs> you think they're too big okay well 
Yeah, it's like a box of chocolates. You're not sure what you're going to get. Now, I want to <laughs> raise the question of what exact, where exactly does Anglicanism fall as it relates to like evangelical versus mainline? Because I feel like this, the answer mm. to this question changes where you, depending on mm. where you are in the globe. Like in the United States, I think they had to make like a separate Anglican. Then they have to make a separate Anglican ACNA, denomination. Yep. Yeah, ACNA, which is where Robbie Zacharias was, you know. Uh, but oh. Wow, there you go. Yeah, well, apparently he was, he was. Apparently he was pretty lousy with his uh, church life and all that, which is that, makes perfect yeah, it's pretty notorious. But yeah, I, I'm just trying um, to put a name to a thing. But yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I actually didn't know that he was ACNA. There you go. Yeah, um, sure he wasn't Episcopalian. Yeah, speaking of so, yeah, we started off with like you know talking about football quarterbacks with uh, Russell Wilson. What Robbie Zacharias <laughs> was your uh, Deshaun Watson who was getting mm. an he was getting, you know, same thing, you know, all about the uh, happy endings at the massage parlors. So, yep, yeah, except, <laughs> Jeez, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. it's just you, you, if you're in ministry, don't buy a massage parlor, that's just extremely shady. But, yeah, 100%. So, actually, one second, I'm gonna take out my Bluetooth earphones, they're a bit, they're a bit wonky at the moment. So, so, yep, the question I have is. Yeah, since in America there seems to be different context for Anglicanism, hmm. you know, whether it really fits into, you know, you're just Episcopalians that sound older, or are you, you know, evangelical in your theology, which would largely have to do with, you know, your adherence to things like the uh Chicago statement on inerrancy hmm. and stuff like, you know, the issues of the past of the last generation as it relates to modernism in the church. Hmm. Uh, I think and obviously the issues now as it relates to social justice and its various three-pronged attack on the church that we're seeing today. Yeah. So how how is it in Australia? Mm-hmm. So for Australia, definitely a mixed bag, but I'd say that it, it, it's odd because like if you take Anglicanism in its original traditional form and even its official form through the formularies, it is very much on the main line on lowercase c Catholic side. So very liturgical, um, very traditional in many respects, whilst also submitting such ideas to the ultimate standard of Holy Scripture, which is what's most important. But then in practice, including in Australia and really most Western places where the Anglican Church is, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's very, very evangelical in practice which isn't always a bad thing. Uh, it's often a very good thing because there is a huge emphasis in the gospel. My own church, um, they do have a traditional service, albeit it's very stripped down, but then their other services are like pretty contemporary, but they're not concert, which is good. So I can tolerate it and, it, and it's actually good in a sense. Um, but otherwise their emphasis is heavy, heavy, heavy on the gospel preaching and all that, which is good. Although I think it should be supplemented with more stuff of appreciation of the Anglican tradition as it is. Um, but nonetheless, it's good and very solid and very evangelical in that respect. Um, unfortunately there are a number of liturgical light. Um, yeah, there are liturgical there. There is the presence of liturgical light. I'm actually with a, I'm actually in a small group of, uh, traditionally minded Anglican friends here in Sydney. We actually want to start something where we can attract people to the traditional thought of the Anglican church and hopefully start something in cooperation with the archdiocese in order to uh, inspire more, um, more desire and participation in like traditional uh, Anglican liturgies, including the good old 1662 book of common prayer. Um, But otherwise very much evangelical. And in a number of cases, unfortunately, 
Um, definitely too evangelical. Like there is another Anglican church very close to me, uh, closer than my actual one. Um, but when I went there for the first time, I would not have known it was an Anglican church if not for the name. Like that, that's it. It, it, was, it was an Anglican church. It had Anglican in the name and on the website, but everything, how they, how they did things, how they practice, uh, how they presented themselves on their website, the website aesthetics, everything screamed like an independent evangelical, even, even Pentecostal church. It just screamed that. And so that's something I think is unfortunate. Not that, oh, how dare you, you're, you're putting your relationship with the Lord in danger. No, no, not that. Um, although I do think uh, non-liturgical worship can have that danger. And that's why I'm not, not a fan of it. Um, but uh, the issue is that, look, you guys, are, you guys are claiming to be Anglican, but there's like nothing on your Anglican identity in this church. Like what, what, what's up? Why, why do you guys even call yourself Anglican? You know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's very common here. Um, let it's less than to be desired. Um, but that's, that's, that's kind of how it is. All righty. So as it relates to the King of England, what exactly is the King of England's relationship with the Anglican church historically versus practically? And do you think that's a, you know, a weakness in the ecclesiology? Um, yeah, with, with especially the current king of England, king of England. Don't most I don't think like I don't think Queen Elizabeth was all that, you know. Yeah, that's it. Even she though, wasn't based from, either. Even from what I've seen, even though she was like a pious believing Anglican, like her role as the head of the church, like she did literally nothing. So, I mean, what 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 gives? Um, yeah, I think. Um, as much as that is pretty much at the foundation of the Church of England, uh, I think that has posed many big issues. And now we're seeing the fruits of it. Now we we basically have a heathen king, functionally speaking. Um, and I'm even I'm even hearing stuff. I haven't confirmed it. I'm even hearing stuff of how they're going to change like the coronation oath to include like defender of faiths plural or something like that. I think um, this would have already happened. Um, it hasn't. It didn't happen with the queen. That's for sure because she was. She was, uh, no, I thought that he was already coronated and like, you, you oh know. no, I was, so I'm thinking of like the King of England when he, when he, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I remember the story. He became the king like as soon as she died, but the coronation ceremony, I, uh, has that happened yet? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I haven't, yeah, it. he's not um, on mine of money, so that's just, know. that's just how little I care. That's just how little like I care about. It. I don't even know if it's happening or not, but, uh, yeah, the relationship. With the King of England, I mean, like it's 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 demonstrating the fault lines of that of that relationship, and functionally with the Church of England itself, where that relationship is centered. Now that they've gone apostate, um, we we've basically disestablished ourselves. Like the the like, so do you know GAFCON, the Global Anglican Futures Conference? Much? I you know I, I want to learn more about that, but I, I am aware that there's yeah vaguely. Yeah, so they're they're basically a big global traditional Anglican um, organization. They try to be a rallying point for traditionally minded Anglicans uh, against the the forward advance of homosexuality in the church. So there's them, and then there's also a sort of informal union called the Global South, which is very closely tied with Gafcon. And the Global South basically includes um, Anglican Anglican Communion diocese out, uh, outside of like the Western world. So like Africa, Asia, yeah, and they comprise, they comprise, sorry, Uganda forever. I've got it forever, bro. Honestly, my, my mate even jokes. Oh, thank you. Other Phillips says it happens on May 6th. Yeah. I thought it hadn't happened yet. Um, 
But my mate actually joked that like, hey, I'm if, American. Like, church, if, if the King of England, Church of England's gone bad, the King of England's like basically apostate. What if we, what if we uh, lobby the King of Nigeria to become the new head of the Anglican Church? That, that would be, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't think they even have a king, but that'd just be hilarious. But um, but yes. Yeah, so functionally, so the Global South they comprise the majority of the Anglican Union as well, and they're very traditional because you know they're not they're not Westerners. They're not uh, infected by the by the liberal mindset. Um, and so as soon, literally one day, this, this speaks to the efficiency, like great efficiency that we can have one day after the church of England announced that they're going to start blessing same sex relationships. That was on February 9th, February 10th, GAFCON and the global South, literally the majority of the Anglican communion worldwide announced that they're cutting off the recognition of the church of England's spiritual leadership over the communion, like done one day, that's it. Um, and so we, the majority of the Anglican world, the traditionally minded ones, we have functionally disestablished ourselves, like functionally because the King of England, his relationship with the Anglican communion is through the Church of England. We've basically already disestablished ourselves. And so now the only question really remaining is how long until the Church of England itself is disestablished. And I think that's just accelerated like times 12 speed. <laughs> now, you know, this is a fundamental issue that went back to the founding of the United States, you know, as well as the colonists fleeing the uh, Church of England and its influence. So having like a monarch be head of the church, I think is not good, not a good idea mm -hmm. at all. And you know, that was part of the reason the founding of the country. And then you have a lot more emphasis on the other denominations, mainly Presbyterian and Congregationalist uh, denominations really took off in the United States for that reason. <clears throat> but it's interesting that you mentioned that things have actually gotten better in that regard because there's enough of an as overseas uh, establishment and of an Anglican sphere that they can essentially leverage that against the church of England. And they've basically turned the church of England into a figurehead of the Anglosphere. And now you're saying that this global conference has disavowed that figurehead. Or disestablished. Pretty much the the majority. So it's not like it's not like Gafcon and the Global South. They they represent like the official global body or whatever. Because technically, if you want to have, um, and those are the dates I just posted for anyone who's interested. Um, the, the any kind of official conference would be something like the Lambeth Conference, um, and the, which is where like representatives across the Anglican world they meet at the at Lambeth Palace in uh, in Britain. And they do these kinds of global actions, but functionally, Gafcon and the Global South do represent a very big majority of the Anglican world. And so, for them to have cut ties was, in a functional sense, maybe not uh, de jure, but de facto, that was a severing of the greater healthy part of the Anglican Communion from the Church of England. And so, the Church of England, their communion remains with like whatever liberal, like yeah like liberal either liberal like vestigial liberal husks like the episcopal church or canada or perhaps any other conservative traditional churches that just don't have the backbone to cut off ties yet although i don't don't know of those myself um so yeah that that's happened and i'd say that in terms of pol like ecclesial politics this was the biggest event in anglican history since its establishment so yeah oh, wow. really yeah so yeah, that can't 
Yeah, I feel like it's been very understated. Uh, yeah, because yeah, I mean, most people aren't Anglicans and even many Anglicans just don't care or don't know, but it should be appreciated. And it's simultaneously a sad thing as it's the Church of England this is where it all started. They had a very beautiful tradition. It's where we got our prayer books, where we got our formularies. But at the same time, it's a very good thing. It shows that we had leaders with backbone who are willing to say, no, you're a heathen, get out, leave, see you later. So Good old Galvin Robinson, let's go. Love him. Yeah, Love him. so this is the clip that kind of went viral around the world on uh, this issue within the church of uh, the Anglican church. It is Reverend Calvin Robinson, who has a very nice uh, hairdo, got to say. <laughs> uh, and here's his speech. Well, we are up against the authorities. Three bishops from the established church. That means either I am wrong, and Christians have been teaching incorrectly for the last 2,000 years, or and Jews and Christians for the last four to 6,000 years, or we have church leaders attempting to drag the church into apostasy. Neither way is good. The consequences are severe. This debate is not just happening in this chamber. This debate is happening in real time in the House of Bishops as we speak. There's a growing number of vocal bishops who want to change the, the church's teaching on marriage. The results being the spiritual neglect of Anglicans up and down this country. Now, I may have trained at the last remaining sound Anglican seminary up the road at St. Stephen's House, but I am a newbie deacon. So perhaps I am, on, I am wrong on this. Let's consult people wiser than myself, starting with the church fathers. Based. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his summer theological, quite clearly identifies matrimony as being between one man and one woman, beneficial for begetting of children, and for the good of offspring for both educational and developmental purposes, necessary for the perfection of the community and for the worship of God. St. Paul describes marriage as Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh, in which he is mirroring the language of Genesis, where God tells man and woman to be fruitful and multiply. Both Aquinas and Paul refer to matrimony as a sacrament, a holy mystery in which one man and one woman are joined together in conjugal union with the potential to be blessed by the grace of God with children, to start a family for the worship of God. People will often argue in this debate, we know more about homosexuality now than we did then. Maybe so. But are we really Maybe. going to suggest that God knew less then than we know now? For either all of scripture is God-breathed or it isn't. Either we believe Christ or we don't. So let's refer to another source, the Book of Common Prayer, one of the Anglican formularies, an authority of liturgy and catechism in the Anglican Church. The prayer book lists three ordained reasons for matrimony. First, it was ordained for the procreation of children, to be, to be brought up in the fear and nature of the Lord, and to praise his holy name. Second, it was ordained for a remedy against sin, and to avoid fornication, that such persons as have not the gift of constancy might marry and keep themselves undefiled members of the church's body. Mike and thirdly, it was one. ordained for the mutual society help and comfort that one ought to have the other both in prosperity and adversity if i just want to pause there because i don't believe that reason two is reason two you might yeah you can make an argument that's a re yeah you can make an argument that it's a reason three but 
Yeah, I, it, it might marriage have been is established in Genesis two. Yeah, it might have just been it might have just been written in like I don't know no particular order, but yeah, I'd agree. The if you're going to put it in order, that'd be like reason three probably. <laughs> three or four, uh, you know, behind you know the idea that marriage points to the gospel, uh, and you know the idea of Christ and the church. So that would you know easily. Ex- yeah, that that would probably be you know one or two. So that so the reason he gave his number two would probably be four, but yeah, yep. and um, certainly in First Corinthians seven. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. So wider abroad. Really quickly, sorry if you could pause for a second. To quickly address, so Carolyn asks, is he staying in his church after they go heretical? He's actually not in the official Church of England. He's actually part of a breakaway group called the Free Church of England who basically split. I don't know if it was just because of this issue. They've existed before, but I think they've seen other issues. Um, I think women's ordination was another one. I I know very little about the Free Church of England, but they've existed for a while and he's part of them. So he's not part of the official Church of England but he's taking place nonetheless. So um, that, that, that's why. So he's not going anywhere. All right. The church Catholic, which defines in the catechism of the Catholic church, matrimony, the matrimonial convent by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole life is by the nature ordered toward the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring. This covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. This is referred to as marriage in God's plan. So are we looking to alter the catechism of just the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church too? Should, should they all get with the times? 2,000 years of Christian doctrine cannot be altered at the whim of a few liberal bishops. What is God-ordained cannot be adjusted to suit our new liberal progressive views. Marriage is heterosexual, and monogamous and should be open to the possibility of children. The Bible backs all of this up. It's very clear throughout on this matter, whether it's nine verses or 32,000 verses, marriage is between one man and one woman for the purposes of procreation. Sex outside of marriage is a sin, and that is the same for heterosexuals as it is for homosexuals, although the Bible is quite clear that same-sex relations are abhorrent. And before some smart Alec starts asking me the question of whether I'm wearing mixed fabrics, there is a difference between the moral laws and ceremonial laws. And Christ did come to fulfill the old laws. Both the issues of marriage and homosexuality, however, are still addressed in the New Testament, in Paul's epistles, but also in the Gospels. Jesus does talk of marriage in Mark and Matthew, both in the context of heterosexual union. 
So my question to the bishops would be, do we not believe in the authority of scriptures anymore? Can we pick and choose which parts of the gospel we adhere to? The church, after all, is Christ's bride, as we heard earlier. Jesus is described as the bridegroom, so that we may know how he relates to us. Two grooms would be pointless. Christ is already in union with the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's us he's inviting in. Two brides is what we're looking at here. The church is attempting to marry itself and to leave Christ out of the picture. We are directly talking about undermining God's plan as he has revealed it to us. We're replacing his authority with our own. If marriage is no longer between one man and one woman, are we open to the idea of polygamy? So I want to pause right there because what he talked about with the, uh, you're trying to, you know, the bride is trying to have a second bride mm. and submit to that other bride or not even submit at all rather than submit to the groom, which is Jesus. I thought that was a very, very well, you know, good mm. point for why this doesn't even work because you're just upending the, me you know, the biggest metaphor in probably the Bible, which is marriage pointing to the That's gospel. Right, yeah. And I do want to highlight some context here in the States. I don't know if you're familiar with that Gospel Coalition article written by Josh Butler, which is like oh, the I one, am. which is the one I'm article. Sure. I've got a open the archive.org link. <laughs> Still got it. <laughs> the internet remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Pepperidge Farm remembers. Uh, but, you know, he tried to talk about the consummation of language in scripture, which is definitely in Ephesians 5. Uh, you can't deny that. Um, and then they try to go after John MacArthur for saying that. And I'm like, Paul went way further than John MacArthur did. Uh, Ephesians 5 is a very consummation language. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you make that argument here in the United States, you're going to get a bunch of Theo Karens all up in, you know, panties in a twist. If you try using consummation language to describe marriage and that that is what he's doing. But that's again, it's in the Bible. And that's not why that article was bad by the Gospel Coalition. Hmm. It was just extremely thirsty because that's how his book begins. Like, that's not how you preface this. You preface it based off of, you know, probably Song of Solomon or, you know, historic Protestant thought. But you don't go straight into your college ex-girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> and that to make an argument that semen is a, uh, a spiritual offering. So... Uh... Oh. So oh. I, I just had to digress there. Yeah. We disregard yeah. the heterosexual aspect, so why not the monogamous aspect too? If love is love, as we keep hearing, who's to say that three men loving each other is not more love than two men loving each other? Shame, yeah. degeneracy. And I'm sure someone in this chamber has echoed the words love is love tonight and this is not about love being love this is about marriage the sacrament of holy matrimony it is directly connected to love but it's not the definition of love too many people utter those words and confuse the meaning of love agape the biblical context of love is a divine love it's a sacrificial love it's not lustful people often conflate sex with love it's very disingenuous we've heard quite a bit of that but then of course atheists often pirate the words God is love, and we've heard that one tonight too. Again, without any understanding. Yes, God is love, but he sets the terms, not us. Another one we've heard plenty of is inclusivity. Should the church be more inclusive? Again, it's a play of words. It's, it's virtue signaling. It's to appear good rather than to be good. The church should absolutely be inclusive. 
Christ spent time with tax collectors and prostitutes, but it is they who went away changed, not Christ. We are fallen, therefore we are all sinners. The church is open to sinners, of course it is, that's the purpose of the church. But it should not be to encourage people to continue to sin. Our duty as clerics is to help lead people to Christ, to lead them away from sin, not to embrace it, not to affirm it. I know many LGB people, I know many LGB people who live lives in Christ. They abstain from sexual gratification to be closer to God, and it's not easy, it really isn't. It's perhaps not fair, but it is right and it is good. And these people are being let down. I've had people crying, saying, I could have got married, but I did what the church taught me was right, and now the church is saying they were wrong all along. I've wasted my life. As Christians, we're... I want to pause right there because he said some. He said something that was theologically incorrect in my view. Uh, you know, this goes back to the debate surrounding concupiscence and side B theology, and he kind of dipped his toes into side B theology by identifying people with their sin. And I, I think, I, I think that was just as that was just a case of like he's him speaking their language, like rather than get into the weeds of whether to call them. LGB or just people and don't identify them. I think I think he's just speaking their language. So yeah, I think he's using common with context. Right. I think that's fine. But otherwise, um, otherwise, yeah, otherwise, normally, no, don't do that. But I think in this kind of debate context, I think it's just skipping past an unnecessary controversy. I see what you're saying. Uh, it's a little hmm. bit different than what uh, was it Doug Wilson did, and you know, ten years ago on this issue uh, at a college debate. <laughs> but yes, called to be in the world, but not of the world. The trap that we're falling into in this debate is looking at the church through the eyes of the world rather than through his kingdom. In the secular world, we already have equality in law. People can enter civil partnerships or even gay marriage outside of the church, and that's their prerogative. However, the faith is inherently discriminatory. God is discriminatory. He sets conditions on us entering his heavenly kingdom. It is not a free for all. We must turn away from sin, repent and follow Christ. And I want to specify, it is the sin that is the problem, not the sinner. Every single person is loved by God, and God forgives all of us of our depravity. But we have to turn away from our sins and turn toward him. And it seems the panel opposite me has forgotten to separate the sin from the sinner. One can denounce sin while still welcoming the sinner. So as I wrap up, my message to the proposing side is, do not lead us astray. Do not lead people astray. Do not be the wolves in sheep's clothing. Do not be the false teachers that the Bible warns us about. Remember your obligation to defend the faith. Stop teaching about diversity, inclusion, and equality, and get back to teaching about redemption and salvation. This is spiritual neglect. Help people by telling them the truth. Be kind to people by supporting them through those struggles and reminding them that Christ suffers with them. And be compassionate by leading them to Christ when the world tries to lead them away from him. The church is imploding and the faithful masses have stopped turning up on Sundays, and we are seeing the most rapid decline of Christianity in this country that we may have ever seen. Do not accelerate it with heresy. You do not have the authority to bless sin. When I hear the Bishop of London on record saying these new prayers will mean priests can bless same-sex relationships, some of which may be sexual in nature, I hear the devil at work. Bishops are promoting the idea of sacramental sodomy. Let them be anathema. Repent. Thanks. And to the rest of you, I have no doubt that some of you will consider me a bigot or a transphobe or a homophobe, but I am neither of those things, none of those things. I am simply a follower of Christ, a Christian. And we are naturally countercultural. And if so-called liberals 
were truly diverse and tolerant, they would embrace us just as they embrace everyone else. And the, not right now, I'm just wrapping up. And the point has been made, but the growing Christophobic attitude around this public debate and the ugly level of, of hypocrisy is that we really see people hold Muslims and people of other faiths to the same expectations that they hold Christians to. Who is calling, except my good friend here, for Islam to embrace gay marriage? Who is calling for the Quran to be updated to modern societal norms? It is the same, mind your language, it is the same patronizing attitude of people of other, that treat other faiths, patronize other faiths while being intolerant towards Christians at the same time. It's a shame, but in the words of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Thank you very much. And what he's just there kind of answered his own question. There's a reason why no one's trying to bring gay marriage into Islam. It's because why did Satan? Yeah. Why would Satan want to subvert false movements? Mm -hmm. Well, even more than that, they know that there's a lot of Muslims with a backbone because they're from my background. I'm half Lebanese, right? <laughs> they're not going to take this crap lying down. They're not just going to let guy, some guy come in. Hey guys, I think we should um, I think we should expand and become more inclusive and tolerant of LGB and express a, a inclusivity for the LGB marriage. And they'll be like, what are you saying, you degenerate? Get out, get out. And then they'll just start picking up the stones from the side of the street and the person will be running out the door of the mosque. Well, that's not gonna happen. In our defense, we've had over a hundred years of feminism just grinding away at exactly, our yeah, society. Exactly. Is The Islamic world hasn't experienced that yet. Yeah, not yet, no. God so, willing, well, I, Hopefully I say God ever. willing it won't, not because I want Islam to be protected, but because, like, in a sense, this is a greater threat. Um, and so, but in a sense, the Islamic the world is like it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a, a temporary ceasefire armistice kind of movement, where like, hey, you guys still need to repent, believe the gospel, move away from your false prophet. But in this temporary crisis, we can lay down our arms, kind of half lay down our arms. Not we're not going to stop preaching the gospel to you. But we can lay down our other arms and, in a way, join forces with you, with you to push back. As co-belligerents, not allies, but co-belligerents. Co yes, exactly. Not not allies. <laughs> the other Philip Paul in your example, that person will be pushed off a roof. <laughs> exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, that no, that would happen in um and in many places. Um, probably not Lebanon today. Uh, definitely not Lebanon today. Actually, um, other places though, like uh, Palestine, I believe, probably. I, I thought Islam has kind of like a Greco-Roman view of homosexuality but it's, it's not necessarily tolerated but kind of undergirding if that makes sense in in what sense like they they still have it but it's like on boys and not you know not pride parades but uh, not um i don't officially i don't think I, I get i get what you're saying like a pedophilic kind of thing although they don't frame it as like homo is okay Right. Um, there is, I've heard a little bit about like older men on younger boys in like, like really old Islamic, even with Muhammad, I've, I've heard. Um, I, I can't confirm it though. I haven't read it personally. Uh, and perhaps even in modern cultures, although it's, it's definitely not framed as like, oh, this is my sexual orientation. That's okay. It's if not it's framed as the movie Bros, which flopped. Exactly. Yeah. And, and even, you can even see in, in certain, uh, it's not just it's not just Muslim, but widely speaking, certain Arabic and and African societies, you will see in public two men holding hands, 
because they're best mates, not because they're they're romantic. Like that, that that's just the thing. They just understand it's because they're friends. Like that's that's a do that in the West today, and people but you say, I'm so proud of you for coming out. Do that, do that in Africa, and they're like, What are you say about you call me get? No, that's not gonna happen. So and yeah, I want to point to the nation of Uganda for a second because last week in my one of the videos I did exclusively on Rumble, uh, talked about Uganda criminalizing the self identification of homosexuality mm. or transgender, mm. transvestite, or any category that was opposed to biological gender and gender roles. So non binary would also be included in that. And then they also created a, cat a crime called aggravated homosexuality, which is basically the understanding of second degree rape applied to uh, mm. this issue, which I thought was pretty base, but CNN didn't. <laughs> of course, of course. But, and even even they managed to exaggerate it as to like, oh, homosexuality gets the death penalty. It's like, no, it, it wasn't that. It was, I think, homosexual rape, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. That's well, probably... second degree rape in yes, our it, understanding yeah. of it, which is like on a child or hmm. special needs yeah and, and what was the what was the punishment for identification of homosexuality i don't again? quite recall but it was criminalized but right. when you think about you know what is the demographic breakdown of uganda it's about 13 to 14 percent muslim right. and then afterwards it's like catholic and anglican and then other protestant which right. might also be 13 percent. but right but but you know, that's what Christian nationalism, you know, looks like in the Ugandan context. And yeah. the Anglican church played a role in that, probably more so than the Catholic church, maybe. Potentially. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Oh, I got to point out a shout out because uh, Berean Babes, who I did a recent live stream with where we debated no. the merits of uh, polygamy and uh, what would you do if, someone who was uh, in a polygamous marriage converted to Christianity, what would you do with that situation? So yeah, I, I think that uh, Calvin Robinson has a different view than myself. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I don't think that you counsel divorce in that situation, but. Uh, yeah. I might lean that way as well. Cause I don't think it's possible to say that polygamy is an inherent is inherently sinful. Um, you could, you could say, that uh, you could say that certain contexts render it sinful if it's the right context, um, and that and that ultimately, ultimately, it's still undesirable and should not be pursued because of the creation ideal. Um, right. But ultimately, you can't. Uh, ultimately, you can't say it's inherently sinful. So yeah, that's. I'd probably say the same thing. Maybe. Yeah. So we had a fun Depends debate about that. And well. You should check it out on her channel. Uh, oh, I will. So. <laughs> It was pretty informal, but you, you could see that that debate had the bells ringing as like a time indication, I guess. And, you know, I, I what I specifically loved about that speech was, you know, he said, don't be false teachers. Mm. Don't be yeah. heretics is like the the way he did that. And then, uh, um, uh, by the way, solid uh solid. Utah solid church is going through that. like the Ah, Utah. Hmm. <laughs> now, Mormonism <laughs> has, you know, has gone liberal. Like, people don't realize oh, yeah. that. The yeah. Mormon church is now gay. 
Like you wouldn't have thought that would happen because Mormons are so nice and they have excellent small groups and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But yeah. they went gay and, you know, it's basically Mitt Romney's church now. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're familiar with who that is. Uh, Mitt uh, Romney, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I wasn't, you know, it was an American reference. But uh, with that said, like they condemned like this protest in Idaho where they tried to sabotage a drag queen story hour, the Mormon church condemned it. Despite the fact that there were purportedly Mormons there. So. Okay. Uh, very interesting direction that they've gone. But what we have seen with, you know, the Anglicans, and this would also mirror what's going on in the Methodist church is that the African uh, coalition or whatever, the, that block. Mm. Yeah, has remained incredibly orthodox. The global south has remained yeah. incredibly orthodox. I'm not sure where Australia fits in with the global south part, but mixed mm, mixed bag. So, um, I guess to kind of draw it back to um, to the Anglican Anglicanism issue. Um, so Australia is not part of the global south because like we're we're a Western country, um, but um, it's it's odd. On one hand, we're not experiencing the same scale of progressive corruption as other places like the United States, but it is here. Um, and it did have a big advance recently. I, I think I was actually on here when I talked about the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia. Um, yes. I, think I, I, yes. I talked about it here, yeah. Um, and to briefly recap, they refused to, to affirm, like our, our, my own Archbishop, Archbishop uh, Kanishka Raphael, um, he um, he proposed a statement just explicitly reaffirming uh, traditional marriage or just actual marriage, you know, not same-sex mirage, as Pastor Wilson says. Um, and um, it, it shouldn't have needed to be done. Like, the fact that it needed to be done just shows how, like, lobotomized the much of the synod has been. Um, he proposed it, and it passed with a healthy majority in both the House of Laity, the House of Clergy, but in the House of Bishops, it failed by like one or two votes just. And so it wasn't passed because of that reason, because of a couple of a, a, a higher, slightly higher majority of apostate bishops versus faithful. Now, and, I got a so, quick question. Yeah. How do you get on the House of Laity? Um, I, I think you pretty much just have to be a layman who's appointed as like a representative by your, by your church. I think that's pretty much how that happens. I don't think okay. it's just like any Anglican can just rock up and vote. You have to be like appointed, I believe. Um, okay. I'd like to join that one day. Hey, but, I was going to ask, like, any plans to become what? You know, I'd love to. It yeah, seems I mean, like you'd be my, in my, your lane. My, my plan, my plan is to pursue priesthood, Anglican priesthood. Um, oh, don't wow. know. I don't think I'll go full bishop. I think I, I probably, I, I, I think I probably just want to stick to just have my parish and feed that flock and just stick there. I don't think I have ambitions for the bishopric, but who knows? I mean, um, you're you're very yeah. well read, and I think you'd be an, uh, a good teacher. Uh, so. Yeah, but correct. you know, you. Yeah, if all that fails, you can be evangelical dark webs, Australian correspondent, and Anglican dark web, Anglican <laughs> correspondent. Not be like the Anglican branch, Anglican dark web. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so the liberalization problem. What happened after that statement came out? And this is, I guess, kind of some updates since our discussion. I don't know if it all happened yet, but since then, after the thing was struck down, after General Synod a few dioceses in Australia took that as license to then announce that they're going to start blessing same-sex relationships. So that started, um, that includes Brisbane and a couple other places. 
And uh, our own church has condemned that, of course. But the best thing is that um, our own traditional, actual faithful Anglican branches, unlike so much of conservative ink, like particularly in the United States, like one of its one of its defining qualities is how lackadaisical and just without action it is. But we are not that way. The Anglican Church in Australia, even even the faithful Anglican communion worldwide, we are not that way. At least not on this issue. There's other ones I can I can get to later though. Um, and when that happened, that's when uh, shortly after there was the GAFCON conference uh, in Canberra, in our in our in our, in our country's capital, and um, and then what? And so with that, in that meeting, they announced the establishment of a new Australia-wide diocese, the, the, the diocese of the Southern Cross, um, and that was basically going to be a pan-Australia diocese specifically made for any faithful congregations who are under apostate bishops who have started to bless same-sex relationships. They can choose to leave their bishopric and come under the Diocese of the Southern Cross, and a few churches have already joined. Um, and those apostate dioceses have lost enough members to the point where I think in some cases they've had to combine churches. And so it's it's effective, it's real, it's working. And that's that- on top, that's on top of something that my own Sydney Archdiocese, what we've been doing for a while. There has been this issue of liberalism and apostasy for a while, even before it hit the technical official level. And so we have actually sponsored like church plants in other dioceses across Australia where there were these issues that that's been going on for years. And so those things combined, um, even though Anglicanism as a whole is not doing so great, um, the liberals are like collapsing in numbers and that, that, so that's happening and that's really good. So there is a liberalism. I I feel like events like this are a huge wake up call. Like I'm going to point to the Methodist church. UMC and just how liberal they were and have been for several decades at this point. I mean, really they were the first ordinate denomination to ordain women, I think. So, you know, they kind of always been liberal, but uh, when they announced their divorce settlement at the UMC event or whatever, the number of churches that have voted to leave the UMC and apparently have to file lawsuit in order to do so in some cases, is just, huge and i feel like there are entire states where majority of the methodist churches left the umc and it sounds like you're describing a similar phenomenon in australia when because they created this pan diocese to allow an escape hatch under the ecclesiology of the anglican church yeah and yeah, it makes you think, you know, in a different century in Christendom, this would have been impossible. But mm. I think the Anglican Church, it sounds like, has progressed enough or expanded enough to allow this to happen. But can yeah. you explain how they were able to create a diocese? Like, how does that work? I think it was literally just it was just the brute force power of how many official dioceses just came together in a meeting and they chose to make this thing happen because Anglican ecclesiology. To ordain a bishop, you need, uh, I think you need, it needs to be three bishops present in order to, to do that. And I think it was like, it, it was definitely extraordinary. Um, certainly not a, not something, um, certainly not something as far as I'm aware that's established in like our canon law or prayer book or anything. But it was an extraordinary situation that has been made possible by the fact that there have been many dioceses who came together and agreed to make this happen. And so they agreed to establish this legal entity um, of the- So there's a bit of precedent. There's a bit of precedent, like historical precedent for this. I'm not sure. And then they just applied it and 
pushed it through. I'm not sure. I think it was just a case of brute force of the of the power of these many dioceses. They just came together and decided we're going to make this, um, and and it is a legal entity as well, like all other dioceses are. And then once they've made that, they were able to then use the proper procedure for ordination, have three bishops lay on hands and ordain another person a bishop over this diocese. Um, and sure enough, this is actually starting since the Church of England itself has actually gone this way. This is actually, uh, I'm not sure to what scale, but this has actually started to happen in Britain itself. Um, the ACNA, uh, the head of the ACNA, Arch Archbishop or Bishop, I think Archbishop uh, Foley Beach, who is unfortunately a bit loosey-goosey on the women's ordination issue, which I don't like because the ACNA does have that problem, sadly. Um, but he went to Wales and straight up ordained a new guy over Wales because of this issue. And the original, the original, uh, the, the official quote unquote Bishop of Wales has kicked up a stink over it um, because he just went in, ordained a new guy over Wales left <laughs> um, and it put him specifically under the, um, there's, there's kind of like a, a Britain and Europe organization related to GAFCON that's kind of acting like the size diocese, of the Southern Cross, I think kind of. And he ordained a new bishop under them in Wales. And uh, they're basically going to try and do the same thing, just steal their faithful parishioners away. That, that's a very interesting tactic because one of my upcoming projects is a book called Winning Not Winsome, Ten Commandments for Spiritual Warfare, which doesn't talk about the you know Anglican ecclesiology and how to really fight for that issue. It doesn't really focus on any specific ecclesiology. It mostly focuses on what laymen can do. And it talks about, you know, vetting pastoral candidates and vetting churches for you to go to. That's more of what it focuses on rather than interdenominational power or intradenominational power plays. But uh, that that's very interesting, especially as, you know, I, I cover as a lot of denominations uh, just to give a quick update on what's going on. Uh, we mm -hmm. got the Ang the Evangelical Free Church, which is a you know Swedish immigrant denomination in the United States. They they'll be battling over whether to to defrock a pastor who's anti woke in their midst. The PCA had a landmark ruling against the uh, the Presbyterian Church. Their presbytery had a landmark ruling against the Me Too movement, and then Southern Baptists are like lawsuit everywhere. <laughs> And then, but they're going to have a showdown at the annual Southern Baptist Convention over the issue of egalitarianism and Rick Warren. So it, there's, you know, things are on fire right now mm -hmm. uh, all over the world in the church. And it seems like we might actually be, you know, turning the tables, you know, even mm -hmm. if it means using lawsuits or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But because they're not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the most recent news was the guy that they tried to vindicate there that. Sorry, the, the guy that they tried to oust in the Southern Baptist Convention was a guy named Paige Patterson, who helped save mm. the convention in the early 80s in the conservative resurgence. He uh, was basically ousted from being the president of a seminary because he doesn't counsel divorce. And I don't even need to explain the con the context. You know, the Bible doesn't ever con counsel divorce and neither mm. did he, uh, regardless of context. And then, you know, he was accused of mishandling a sex abuse case, but he just won a summary judgment on the negligence that he was sued for. Like the person sued him for negligence and lost in a summary judgment. Didn't he make it to a trial? Wow. Because it was the case was that weak. 
and the facts weren't on his the facts weren't on his side because this adult woman reports a rape to a seminary president he calls the police when she didn't he actually did the right thing he did his job wow and then she didn't pursue charges and then she's suing him in part because he didn't believe her enough he didn't believe her hard enough so i don't that and then the the guy who's alleged to have done this is deceased i don't know why but he's deceased so we don't get to hear his side of the story Mm. at all yeah so but you know that's just a quick recap on what's going on i already mentioned the umc just in a massive divorce settlement that's Mm -hmm. getting ugly uh so it's quite a time to be alive and covering the church and it's good to hear that the anglican church is you know they're organizing and the diocese of the southern cross is just a genius move and i love the name as well incorporates the uh the Southern Cross is on the Australian flag, right? Um, the, or, or is it the New I've Zealand heard flag? Someone, I've heard someone say it was Australasian. I'm not sure about that. I just know that it's overall of Australia. Well, I meant the flag, like the Australian flag. Oh, so, sorry. I mean, I thought you meant the side dice of the Southern Cross. Um, yeah, the Australian flag, that's the Southern Cross constellation. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure whether they had it or New Zealand had it. <laughs> I think New Zealand also has it, I think. Okay. It's just red, red instead of white stars. Okay. So, you know, they, they have a good potential for a logo there. And then, uh, but yeah, that, that's pretty good news. Uh, and you said that Calvin Robinson was part of a split off from the Anglican mm-hmm. church. Is this before yep. they thought to do that type of strategy? Um, are they like they, the they, predecessors? They... They've been a thing for a while. I'm not sure how long, but they they were a thing for a while, well before the Church of England uh, did the uh, did the same sex blessings. I think they I think it might have actually been over women's ordination. I think because England has had the Church of England has had women bishops and priests for for a while. And frankly, I think we should have split over that already. And that's that's something I I briefly mentioned. There's some other issues with Gafcon and the ACNA, and that is one of them. I thought the ACNA empowers the diocese to take care of this issue. I think so, yes. And that's either that or they don't do it at all. Because I think, even though I don't think a woman being a woman being ordained a pastor or bishop is a damnable heresy or whatever, I think it is a dangerous, sinful error enough, um, both in terms of sin, but also even in terms of practical church life, that you just cannot have a meaningful ecclesial unity with disagreement over that. And so that's a big, big concern I have with GAFCON, how they're kind of tolerant on that. Um, and so, and and frankly, they, they are linked. They are linked. Women's ordination and homosexuality, they are justified by the same awful hermeneutical standards and zeitgeist. It's, if you're going to have one, the other one has to follow unless you have cognitive Yeah, dissonance. I mean, prove me yeah. wrong. Like, or prove that, prove what you said wrong. Is there a single instance... Like I was looking for, uh, what was it? I was looking for in my book that I was writing. I was like, I was making the point that you were just making that, you know, feminism, embracing feminism always leads to embracing the other stuff. And I was Mm -hmm. trying to find an exception. And it's like, oh, maybe there's certain Pentecostals that are really strong on this issue. There are Jack Hibbs. Oh, Calvary Church, Calvary Chapel only ordains men. Uh, Carrie Gordon part of the uh enemies within the church documentary 
I don't know if you saw that, but he's charismatic. Does not ordain women. So, yeah, even the charismatics who don't ordain women are actually the ones that are, you know, awake on this issue yep. and on the other That's issues. Wrong. So I'm pretty sure. But the ones who no. do ordain women are your T.D. Jakes and your uh, Joel Osteen types. So, well, the interesting thing is that strong. there is a real phenomena, and I've I, because I, and I know it because I literally grew up with it around me all my life. Um, there is a real phenomena where charismatics and Pentecostals will be all for women's ordination, but then like bark like a dog against same-sex marriage. That is a real phenomena. It's it's very it's, it's very very fascinating. not in the United States. Yeah, well, there you go. There not, you go. Not um, my not in my. Yeah, uh... it, it's a weird phenomena. It's real. It happens here. Um, but I think it's 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 only born out of like an ignorance of like consistent standards. Um, and so I guess in some sense, that's a grace in some real sense, that is a grace, but ultimately if they're going to get conscious on this issue and actually try to apply consistent standards, it can only either go, it can only either go get rid of both same sex marriage and women's ordination or you embrace them both. You can't have uh, you yeah, can't long have term. It's a failure. And I think the reason for that, or the reason that what you said could be true uh, or is true in places outside the United States is because, you know, Pentecostalism, as far as I can tell, that started in the United States with the so-called third grade awakening or whatever. So you had like Foursquare and a bunch of other denominations that uh, probably, probably second grade awakening, I, I'd say is especially like that's where the roots were laid, like with Charles Finney and all that. Correct. But they, there's a supposed event called the third grade awakening, which is yeah, where that'd be a like lot of the uh, returning, the restoration movement and all that other mm, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, in America, they kind of went soft or weak on this issue and just focused on being mega churches or whatever. Yeah. And then in the other parts, other parts of the world, global South, you know, they probably adhered more to tradition just because of, you know, tradition. But I think they're eventually going to fail as they. Uh, because, like you said, the hermeneutical standard isn't there. And yeah. my position on like, because I would call it heresy. You know, the idea of women ordaining women, I would say that's heretical, but I have grace for people who come from uh, traditions that embrace heresy. That is mm. substantially different than being in a tradition that doesn't embrace a particular heresy and then going towards it. Mm. You know, so Rick Warren, for that's example, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, but him ordaining women is him coming out as a full blown heretic because yeah. you didn't come from that tradition. And I understand that God can save people even though they are in a heretical faith tradition. Yeah. And now there is an interesting third category. It's not big. So it's not like, oh, look, this this disproves your correlation and causation thing. It doesn't disprove it because it's not common. But it is a real phenomena of like high church, lowercase c, Catholic communions or congregations, very liturgical, deny women's ordination, but approve same-sex marriage. That is a real thing. It's not common, but it is real. And it is baffling. It is baffling to say the least. Yeah. Like, I think it's because they still maintain the 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 high Romanist sense of the priesthood where like there is an ontological sense of the priesthood and it can only ontologically happen with men. Like even if they do all the rituals and all the, all the ordination ceremonies to a T in a proper canonical sense with a woman, she is just not objectively a priest. But somehow, somehow, same-sex marriage is okay. That is a real thing. It's very rare. And I think it's a real thing in England in some in some areas. Um, 
but it's not very common and it's extremely bizarre <laughs> it's really really yeah weird. that that is bizarre and as uh carolyn points out in the comments it's enraging yeah uh yeah and then other philip uh, correctly points out our church split when we denied same-sex marriage and left the pca or sorry pc usa for even allowing a vote mm -hmm. but i was denied eldership because i denied female ordination that true story tragic, yeah that's a true tragic story. end yeah. to uh what was a decent story uh mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i wanted a happy ending there um but uh <laughs> no not like robbie zacharias that's why you're laughing, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> ANCA, right? Um, I'm just kidding. He's loosely ANCA. So uh, anyway, I think we're uh, about ready to do some meme review. Heck yeah, I'm Kane, man. Uh, okay, so this is courtesy of the people on the Twitter sphere. I'm going to refresh this page one more time to see uh, what's new. Oh, actually, sorry, really quickly, before you start that, before you start that, um, there is another potential, it's not super likely, but it's in the realm of possibility. And the fact that it's in the realm of possibility is massive. A potential other party that could join that third category of denying women's ordination, but approving same-sex blessings, portions of the Roman Catholic communion, potentially. Because uh, you've probably heard of the event where the there was this there was this bishop a bishop synod in Germany and they approved same sex uh, relationships blessing them yes. blessing them you've heard of that yes. um now so it's not marriage and that's that's the interesting thing both the Church of England and the uh, bishops German bishops they stopped short of blessing same sex marriage because they they still nonetheless recognize that the specific one man, one woman, sacrament of marriage. That can't be changed, but they decide to go the loophole way, bless same-sex relationships, which is functionally the same thing. So it's still heresy. Um, I mean, I, but, I would say that the Mormons might've already gone that way because they uh, supported that marriage bill in the in the Congress that was yeah, the gay marriage bill. So but, they might already be there. Anyway, this is something I pointed out on my Discord server to people. I, I noticed the dates. I checked the dates to make sure. Um, so very closely how that happened. The Church of England approves blessing same-sex relationships. Um, that was in fe mid-February and or early February. And the German bishops did the same thing in early March. So very close to each other. Now, GAFCON in the Global South, one day later, March, February 9th to February 10th, they cut ties. Now, March 10th is when the German bishops announced they're going to bless same-sex relationships. And it is March 31st. Still no response from the Vatican. Very interesting. Now, very, very interesting. I want to say Pope Francis has contemplated the idea of female priests and bishops in very underserved areas in the church. I, I, because I of heard the lack somewhere he spoke in this, against it. In the South American context. Okay. Well, I heard somewhere that he has actually quite strongly spoke against that and even same-sex marriage itself. But the fact that the Vatican has not responded yet. And even I just checked now just to see if there was any response. Right. Yeah, have a magisterium today, and you're not using it. Yeah, exactly. Here's the, here's the hilarious thing. Just today, um, the the Vatican's dickistry for divine worship, basically regulating regulating liturgy, um, they responded today to the German bishops who wanted to, on specifically on the issue of 
um, allowing, I want to, I want to say, um, commissioning of lay, uh, for the qualification and commissioning of laymen and women, laymen and laywomen to lead the celebration of baptism. They responded on that. And I think one other issue, and they said no, but they still haven't responded on the same sex blessings thing. That is interesting. Maybe to be charitable, maybe they think no response is needed. And I'd still say that's like ridiculously imprudential because of the idea of the automatic excommunication. I think this is one of those issues that to approve that it'll be an automatic excommunication, but practically that still needs to be enforced. So the fact right. that they haven't, even res they, they responded on that, denying the German bishops who want to bapt uh, let laymen and laywomen lead those celebrations, but not on same-sex blessings. That is very interesting. Hey, that'll, very interesting. That will stop a lot of uh, trads from going Catholic if the Catholic Church embraces it. Oh, I think well, well, well that, that's that's that's. And we'll welcome them. We'll welcome If the Catholic Church, that's another thing. If the Catholic Church writ large allowed same-sex blessings, there would be a mass exodus. There, there, there will be. There, like there, will there, be. there was the case. There was the one case of Steve. I mean, you, you even saw that with the UMC. If people are leaving the UMC yeah. after it, like it already embraced homosexuality in like the seventies, but <laughs> now it's just so in your face that people are yeah. finally awake to it. Yeah. Um. And and if that was to happen, and and again, I still think it's more unlikely than not that the that the that the Vatican will openly allow same sex blessings. But the mere fact that it's to this point tolerating it in a sense, even though they did warn the German bishops before they did that that they can't do it, they did warn them. I'm gonna count to three. <laughs> there's but there's still no response after they. The, 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 yeah, it seemed at the moment that the German bishops called the Vatican's bluff. So yeah. there's still no response. Maybe they're pre preparing something. I don't know. But like three weeks later, when the GAFCON and the Global South just instant, done, that's it. Um, I don't know. Maybe they're preparing something. But if that was to happen, again, not likely, but if that was to happen of the Vatican officially allowing for same-sex blessings worldwide, there'd be a mass exodus. Mass exodus of faithful Catholics and especially of trads. I, um, I hope that's the case. I, think I hope so too. I think it'll be the case for, you know, trads. But people defend the Catholic Church, despite when it you know completely goes against the Bible and Christian tradition. Yeah. It's like yeah, they, they, the, they where yet might they be struck? Yeah, some of they them already it, tolerate Mariolatry and yeah, that's Immaculate it. And Conception. That's it. And some here's the thing: some Romanists, some very well learned Romanists, they have a very, very sophisticated epistemological system where they take the church as like a necessary epistemological precondition for like knowing what biblical teaching is. And so some of them, it's going to be very interesting. If something like this happens, it'll be see, it'll be interesting to see whether for some of them, this may be a breaking point where they see, okay, I'm probably wrong on this issue or somehow more bizarrely, they double down and say, well, look, the church says same-sex blessings are okay. I may feel strongly against that, but I just have to submit. That'll be interesting, but absolute certain, many trads will leave if that was to happen. And the unfortunate thing is that they have been spoon-fed a lot of really bad um, epistemological arguments from like Catholic answers and other Romanist apologists to such a point where many of them will straight up apostatize, not go to orthodoxy. I think I think many will go to orthodoxy, not go to another Protestant denomination, full on apostatize. Just like Stephen, Steve Skojek, he was a famous uh, apostate case of a trad calf gone full on unbeliever. 
precisely because he was raised up on these promises like certainty in the papacy and all that. And for him, that was ruined with Pope Francis. And now he's a fallen unbeliever. Wow. So that's the scary thing about this, that there'll be people who just leave the entire faith writ large because of wow. that kind of That action. will be interesting to watch. And many uh, Protestants out there are like, well, they're the whore of Babylon anyway. So <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and who knows? Again, that's unlikely that the Vatican writ large will do that. But the fact that they're still not responding, and if that kind of no response form of negative tolerance continues, that could start to get a lot of trads asking questions. Like very serious questions. Very serious. Yeah, questions that they probably should have started asking, but yes. All right, meme review. I'm going to try and blow this. Uh, oh, let's. So I guess this is our first meme <laughs> of the day. Uh, you're judging me. I read you a Bible verse. It's the uh, <laughs> woman and the cat meme. Yeah. For those listening, because I'll turn this into an audio podcast. Uh, I like it. You know, it's a solid seven. For, for me, context, um, when I do the zero to 10 scale, five for me doesn't mean bad. It just means average. Yeah, average. So I'm going to say five for this. Okay. Yeah, six. Let's go six. Uh, that comes from Nancy17. And we got based Poland in the house <laughs> with the, uh, you know, there's the misconception that Old Testament Judaism is the same as modern day Judaism. And it has like a flow chart of the misconceptions is that Christians and the new Testament split off from Judaism. But the mm -hmm. reality is that old Testament Judaism led to new Testament, accept Jesus Christianity and then reject Jesus had a different flow chart to the second temple being destroyed as prophesied in multiple occasions in scripture leading to Talmudic Judaism and the six pointed star as a symbol for Judaism, which, you know, historically speaking, occurred after the fall of uh, Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You know, historic. Yeah. I always thought it was dubious that a six-pointed star would be a symbol for <laughs> believers in God. Yep, yep. I'll do that video one day and see how I get treated like Kanye West and Stripe cancels my bank, my payment processing account and. <laughs> my bank account gets canceled <laughs> for pointing out that you know god's believers wouldn't use a six-pointed star at, at any point you know specifically david who they credit it with but i i give this a 10 out of 10 just for being a very concise deconstruction of very bad theology and and that comes from base poland i i i give it a solid eight because it's very based and true, and it's it exposes a ubiquitous error. Because it's not yes. true. If, if if you're a Christian, you claim to be Christian. You claim that Christian faith is a true faith. You are by necessity claiming that it was the it was the religion of the Old Testament prophets, even if it was in an older covenant. But it's still the same true religion, and you must by necessity deny that modern Judaism is in continuity with that. That they are an aberration. I, I like to say that myself. I like to say that Judaism today is a post-Second Temple heresy. It's not the Old Testament religion. It's not. It's right. totally different religion. Um, I only say eight just because it's a bit much. there's a bit more text than than should be in a good meme, but otherwise, solid eight for the content. Right. So I'm not um, familiar with Base Poland. I believe I've actually met Base Poland in real life, so uh, <laughs> true story. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, wait. This meme comes from Unconscionable. This is uh, the Shibu Inu 
buff versus not buff meme. Now there's a viral video of a pit bull just going after one of these dogs or viral video, not a meme, but which, Ooh. you know, it was clearly the Shibu Inu on the right, not the left that the pit bull was just gnawing on. So priest 1450, uh, <laughs> buffed shibu inu i burnt 15 cytomites at the stake and then priest 2020 love is love <laughs> now i must say um i'm in full support of banning and putting down all pit bulls amen amen uh pit bulls need to be eradicated there's no reason to have them as a pet um yeah <laughs> see i just i believe in going old testament and if you put a beware of dogs on in your yard, you, you've already established that your dog has a violent reputation. And therefore, if it attacks someone, it dies. It gets the, put down. There is that. And then you get put the down. With, there's so the issue I, with the fact that pit bulls are uniquely made for that. And many pit, and pit bull owners, because they treat them as pets, they take them out in public, like take them out for walks or even right. let them around their kids. And so I just, I, I genuinely think that pit bulls should just be straight up. Just See, I think around. the biblical solution... Genocide is the you know it, it actually solves the argument because if it's the owners and the owner can get put down too if yeah no no i agree with that. and no, then I that will create a deterrent too. for bad owners or that'll create a deterrent for the dog if you apply the biblical principle of if you have a, a, a dog that's known to be violent and it kills someone then you get that punishment as well yeah, yeah. because no, you, you committed think, negligent homicide i think, I think, I think that'll solve the issue I think do both. I think establish a government fatwa against all pit bulls. But then if you're found in possession of a pit bull and if it kills someone, put you down as well. I 100% agree with that. But yeah, this meme, solid 9 out of 10. Solid 9 out of 10 for this meme. Yeah, there's <laughs> a particularly gruesome case in like Texas or something that this happened. Uh, this one, uh, I believe <laughs> I, I believe this is a uh, Christian Mario meme. Uh, the rational view is a dude wielding a hammer on a nail, and the atheist view is the hammer. Uh, ex, what's the ex nilio or whatever hitting the nail like out of nothing? The hammer is hitting the nail. Nothing's holding the hammer. Nothing's behind the hammer. It's just in midair hitting the nail. Straight to the point. It's just straight to the point. Solid eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, Solid I think it's an eight. Yes, love it. I didn't rate the last one. I just remembered. Um, and then this one I just submitted. So we, okay, you're Australian, so I wasn't sure if you'd get this. Um, I wasn't sure if you'd get this, but you know, oh, recently no, we had a tragedy here in Nashville where a transvestite, a self-proclaimed transvestite, attacked and murdered six people at a Christian school: three adults, three young children. And we have a, a fork in the road meme. And on the left is one of the officers that gunned down this uh, person, this woman, the rare female mass shooter. And on the right, we have towards the dark side is Megan Hall, who I didn't realize was from Tennessee. I thought she was from Kentucky or whatever, but which I get those states confused, those two states, even though I could name them on a map. But uh, yeah, the light side is this cop that gunned down the female sh school shooter and the the dark side is megan hall the <laughs> cop that serviced an entire police department sexually speaking <laughs> and avoids all accountability for it that's the funny oh, like man. if you've seen her do interviews she's like i said no <clears throat> and it's kind of like that bill burr comedy bit where it's like 
you know, you just got a bad read on the transcript with, you know, <laughs> you know, with the words, no stop. It can sound any way you want them to. Um, oh, no. So th that meme I saw earlier today, I think that was the last meme I submitted to this. And I found this meme. I shared it with my wife and my family sent in the group chat. So uh, this meme is a solid nine out of 10 for me. This this is a 10 out of 10. Oh, this came out of left field. This is 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> and it's vague. And I asked for Christian memes, but I vaguely am circumventing this as Christian because of the uh, attack on Christians earlier this week. So I'm using that as the loose context for uh, calling this a Christian meme. But yes, which oh, way, man. police? And this is a Christian Mario meme that I submitted here. <laughs> And it's the uh, handshake, the famous, it's an artistic rendition of the famous handshake from Predator between Carl Weathers and Sylvester Stallone. And, or sorry, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Man. My bad. I meant no disrespect. Uh, and it's white, or white women in 2020 and Muslims shaking hands over liking black squares. Oh, man. And they don't realize, you know, like, you know, I, I guess the uh, the first two commandments and the ten oh, commandments man. don't apply in Islam because the black square, you know, completely violates that because it predates Islam as far as I can remember. And uh, oh my word! But th this meme, I think, is a, a another nine out of ten. This this one's a definite nine and a half at least for me. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. <laughs> oh. Uh, this is uh, a meme that I submitted. <laughs> I, I tweeted this out from the Evangelical Dark Web account. It's a, uh, if you've ever seen Tom and Jerry, it's Tom sticking the double barreled shotgun through the mouse hole and not realizing that the barrel of the gun has curved around to point him in the head. And Tom in this meme is Ben Shapiro. He's pointing the gun in the mouse hole that says, Facts don't care about your feelings. And the gun's about to hit him in the head saying jesus is the messiah <laughs> and i absolutely love this meme because it's so these last three have been bangers <laughs> nine and a half solid another, nine and a half. that's another nine I, I love it i got a lot of uh twitter love for this one uh when oh, i man. sent it out uh we got oh, more man. replies uh i didn't like that one Whoa. it's not worthy no. This one I feel like is a troll meme, but it's a political cartoon. That's, that's, really that sounds like a that looks like a wartime political thing. I, I don't really I, I I'm not really gonna read that. That doesn't qualify. You didn't <laughs> send me your care. best. Uh okay, we got some best maybe here. Uh this hey man, yeah. uh Jesus gave us like one commandment, bro. Mm -hmm. This is like a hippie, I guess, hippie Christian. Bro, uh, which is to be vaguely nice to each other, man. And just read this like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Uh, as long as you're being vaguely nice by the cultural standards of the current time <laughs> period in which we live in and completely ignoring the Bible, you're doing a heckin' wholesome Christianity. I'm going to give this one a two. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> Ain't like Zoink Scoob when you just be nice, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's my reading of it that just didn't do it. You know, you surely you've seen this one before. This is this is an old one. It's, it's I, a I've never seen this one actually. Oh, okay. Well, it's 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 an old one. Um, and it's good and it's super true. So I give it like a solid seven. Uh, maybe it just needs fewer words. 
these, these kinds of memes, maybe not particularly this one, but these kinds of memes where they like do like a crappy drawing of someone and and like do like a yeah. like car- caricature of their what they say. These ones do benefit from more words. Um, you just got to craft them well. So right. this one's like average crafting. So I'd say solid seven out of ten for me. All right, we got uh okay. <laughs> Yeah, you get the soy jack saying pedophilia is a sexuality, yeah. and then the Chad bashing his head in with a bat. And it's a, yeah, a bit, bit too blunt. Yeah, I'd little, say like, well, I mean, a baseball bat's a blunt force object. I mean, today's yeah, opening, it's a blunt force instrument, but <laughs> today's uh, opening day for baseball. By the way, this one's more like a this one's more like a rallying cry than a than a meme. I'd say I'm like, gonna give it a four because they posted enough. this on opening day for baseball otherwise it wouldn't it would get like a three so you got an extra boost for timing so this oh. was a side by side of two articles yep. one by tonic i've never heard of that outlet why the why has rectal cancer quadrupled in millennials and then another article that says millennials are the gayest generation in america this is a bit of a life comes at you fast meme yep yep uh yeah uh, anal sex is uh not good for you by the way um, it's not no seven out of ten good seven out of ten yeah uh yeah i'll, I'll give it a six uh and then my favorite part of uh yeah. history old, old of gay history is uh sodom yeah. and gomorrah and this is a painting rendition uh looks like uh his wife is already lot's wife has already been turned into a pillar of salt but uh down there in the painting mm-hmm. but it's the uh family leaving with Abraham. Um, yeah. I'm going to give this an eight. Seven, seven and a half. Actually, I'm going to deduct points for using the acronym. So it's going to get a seven. I don't like the acronym. I think that's, you know, you betray our convictions when you use that. My, in my, opinion. my favorite part of abominable history. I would just say gay history. I think that's sufficient, but <laughs> you don't speak about sins and acronyms. I just think that completely pacifies the language. Uh, that's from Hirisco. Uh, not good at pronunciation. So we got uh, a couple more memes. Uh, grow your own food. Homeschool your yeah. kids. Arm and yourself and train others. Support local small okay. business. Inform I give it a zero because it's not even a meme. It's just true. It's 100% true. It's not even a meme. So laws. Yeah, it's a two from me. It's yeah, not really a meme. And they didn't screenshot it properly. You got to yeah, send that, me your best. Actually, yeah, I'll give it a one for that. Uh, you're not sending me your best. Okay, we got a, uh, a meme about Klaus Schwab. And it says, you will own nothing and be happy. And we got a soy jack asking, not even my Funko Pops. And Klaus Schwab replies, no. And then you got the soy, soy jack. jack. Uh, yeah, you, he's got the Thanos gauntlet and the red eyes, laser eyes, and he has a uh, a mask of a skeleton ma- jawline on his head, like he's ghost from Call of Duty. Um, <laughs> yeah, this one's uh, this one's a five. I'm liking it. I like the Funko Pops. <laughs> Not even my Funko Pops, because that's gonna drive him to radicalism. Yeah, let's bump it up to a six. <laughs> uh, Sold seven and a half for me. <laughs> and then. Let children, this is the uh button <laughs> dilemma, and it's let children die of heart attacks versus admit I was lied to. Yep, and this is aimed at you, Donald Trump. Uh, you mm. get a three, three out of ten, 
And part of that's for not cropping the screenshot. I'll give it a four. Yeah. And that's, it'd be five, but the cropping. Yeah. You got to crop that. You got to send me your best. Don't be like Mexico and America's border. Okay. You got to send me your best. Uh, as Donald Trump would say, uh, rip because he got indicted today, supposedly. Uh, um, yeah. All right. We got a, a lengthy meme. Yo dog. You actually believe international bankers are involved in a global conspiracy to create a one world government. And then it's a quote that is exactly that, that I don't feel like reading. I'm going to give this a two it, out of 10. Basically a banker admitting to that. It, yeah. Too much text. I'll give that like a three. Uh, too much text. And I was winded. Uh, yeah. It does appear to be our meme. I've got, that. I've got one. I've got one. I want to share that I, my friend just sent me today. Oh man. It, it summarizes the issue beautifully. You ready? Hold on. Alrighty. Did you hear what Audrey Hale did? She, and then interrupted, uh, he, right, thanks. He murdered six people. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this is a left, a liberal's meme. No, it's not. No, it's like, that's the funny thing. It's like, before he even says what he did, the person corrects the gender. And it's like, oh, sorry, yes, we've got to we've got to make sure we get the gender right. Anyway, he murdered six people. That's the that's the that's His, like you that's dead named him though. His name is Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> this one was a good eight out of ten because it just beautifully beautifully shows the pathetic priorities of these these people. They're oh, yeah. they're basically enemies at this point. Oh yeah, always have been meme. <laughs> you mean we're not one one nation indivisible always have been <laughs> never always has been. been or something i don't know well since like i don't know mid-century maybe mid 90th mid mid 20th century i don't know <laughs> yeah the more you look back on american history it's like yeah the civil war wasn't good to have a civil war but i think that the point of no return was that woodrow wilson era and the progressive amendments they just completely you know screwed america up mm. you know you got the 16th through 19th amendments which were all bad and like some of them were karen amendments like the prohibition on alcohol was driven by karens we gave the karens power and they screwed up the entire 1920s and allowed the rise of organized crime you know my italian heritage and the mafia uh at work there but at least we got sopranos out of it and godfather and mm. yeah uh, good fellas <laughs> the departed saying a pattern with your favorite director here <laughs> my name uh scorsese and uh yeah yeah okay yes scorsese yeah. is both departed actually i like i actually think Goodfellas is not even close to being as good as Departed, but that's just me. Really? Yeah. That'll get you bashed in some places, huh? <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I just love the fact that they have four A-list actors, you know, in, in The Departed, and they all do a great job. Uh, and something about Goodfellas just goes on a little too long. I don't know. I think I, I love The Departed because it's all the memes about how, because it's all like, I think it's like, what, Southie and South Boston? 
And so, and so everyone just likes to say, oh, it's the departed. Hey, it's the departed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You know what's funny about the departed is I think it's based off a South Korean screenplay. Is it? Yeah. That's funny. I, I think it, it, it won best adapted screenplay, and I believe it was adapted from a South Korean screenplay. Wow, I want to say the original now. That that's hilarious. From South Korea to South Boston, how funny! <laughs> yeah, but in in terms of uh, organized crime, but yeah, I want to watch, um, been watching a lot of Sopranos lately. So you've uh, heard me. I uh, just started on that. I've never seen it. I've just started. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it either. So I, I made a reference to Sopranos in a recent video of mine, and uh, no, no one's called. Yeah. No one's gotten mad at me for it. Usually, I, when I, I make a Seinfeld reference, people like it. I I, I and, just love. Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, American movies based in South Boston they always hit the spot. I don't know if it's the accent. It's like, hey, I'm from Southie, and then like, and the Departed, and all that. I don't know. Yeah, how many other spot, movies like, are? Um, in south boston yeah like um like uh well like the departed uh that's is that in south boston or is that somewhere else i think that's in boston it's either in boston or providence but i think, I think they make reference to a trip to providence so i'm pretty sure it's right. south boston um so there's the departed there's black mass and the town i love all those movies they're very good okay and there's was it uh boondock saints that's in boston right haven't seen that one okay it's a cult classic emphasis on the cult part <laughs> okay <laughs> if you're catholic you you know you, you ought to love that movie because you know the <laughs> irish catholic but uh john patrick flannery is going to be in an upcoming christian movie called nefarious i don't know if you've heard about that no no oh. well that's going to be a christian film with sean patrick flannery and it it's got mainstream appeal so i'm going to be very interested to see how that goes and then if you make reference to uh you know game of thrones or something like that you know people pretend not to even get your references or whatever so <laughs> it's pretty funny but i do have a an article slash video that i'll do on one of the uh actors from game of thrones who deconstructed their faith so mm, shock wow shock and horror you mean an actor in a movie that's like all about like what rape gore and death and betrayal wow shock and horror <laughs> that's sad that's sad but i mean it is I, sad but it's not what you just said necessarily i think game of thrones actually became more about girl boss power and that's why the oh, oh it definitely did do that yeah it, it did eventually go that that's, way but like, that's why it sucked it, at the end because they went girl boss like look honestly a bit after watching it all i ended up like thinking back and like i genuinely feel dirty for watching that show just because of how much of that crap is in it like it is it is like the whole the whole theme of it and, and from what i've heard it, that's basically what the books are about and the show i read the books it. it's it's all just it's all just it's all like tons of emphasis on like oh look at all this rape and all this gore and like there's no meaning and the good people get corrupted or well, die. what's God. weird is that they you know, they created the show created sex scenes that weren't in the book, and so actually went out of their way to do that. Uh, yes. Wow. Like okay. Sansa does not marry uh, Ramsay Snow. Like that's huh. a really stupid plot line. But <laughs> actually, I think the show went wrong in season four, episode ten, the season finale, arguably their best season. But there's a point. In, there's a thing in television where you can do all your 
you know, shoot your wad, so to speak. And you didn't set yourself up for a future plot lines. Well, yeah, they changed why, you know, Tyrion killed Tywin. They completely changed the reason, which didn't set the character up to succeed in the future plot lines because he had nothing to do for the rest of the series. And part of why is because they changed the reason they, uh, the Clegane, uh, Brianna Tarth fighting mm. uh, Sandor Clegane doesn't happen in the books. And even that's, if it did, Brianna Tarth would, you know, lose. That's what I hear about. And then one, of, one last thing. A lot of people. Is that the, the show yeah. implied that Robin Aaron was Peter Baelish's son. That is not true. They were right. quoting dialogue directly from the book, but they removed the context for that dialogue. Because right. the context for that dialogue was an ongoing mystery that the reader was learning about through various perspective sources, not right. a singular plot line. Right. That's and that, that that's context was that Liza Aaron was forced to abort her child that she had with Peter Baelish by her father, who then married her off to uh, her husband that was older than her dad. That's that's what I heard from a lot of people that see after season four is where it started to go down. That's where I hear from a lot of people. But I would say that the starting point was the season four finale. Okay. And then in season five, they went girl boss with weak men aren't Mm -hmm. able to rule Dorne. And then they gave Arya Stark a sex scene for some reason, even though her character was not older than 14 years old, being generous with time. It's like you're really pulling Um, the whole one season equals one year nonsense. Yeah, and and the like um, that's that's not like season two takes place over six to eight weeks. Oh, there you go. Um, the I know at some point I know that that was definitely the case with like season seven and eight. Like they didn't have the new books. When did it start that they started to produce new series, but the books were not yet done? When did do you know when that started? Season five, even though they did, even though oh, season four completed book three, so they had two more books to work with. But they went straight to book six, theoretically, that hasn't come out yet. Oh, uh, so that's why. It's and then in season, season six, five. they went through book four. After going through book five, which book four and book five are parallel to each other, but then they connect at the end of book five is where it moves the plot forward. But so they that would explain that. that would explain why it started to go downhill with season five because they basically virtually every no, they didn't run out of material. They oh. didn't they ignored the material that they did. Okay, yeah. They That's deliberately it. ignore the material. Like Jamie Lannister goes to the Riverlands. He doesn't go to Dorne. Uh, they, they ignored the material. Uh, right. Tyrion and they meet the fake Aegon in the East who is allegedly Daenerys older brother or sorry, cousin or uh, nephew. You never know the Nephew. <laughs> nephew. Right. Who was supposedly killed. <laughs> no, not both, but old enough to be, you know, with the Targaryen tradition, old enough to fulfill the Targaryen tradition. But yeah, so it's weird. So the show yeah. went feminist. And then one of the other issues with it, they, they made Tyrion Lannister take all the blame for Daenerys incompetence. Like Daenerys is extremely incompetent in the books. Mm-hmm. She does not know how to rule. Right. And they, they, in the show, they had Tyrion take all the blame for that, which, you know, of that's course. Something, the girl this boss, is something that writers called foreshadow. 
right? Her being incompetent in the books was foreshadow for her being a villain. Mm. When you remove the foreshadow and stick with the conclusion, it doesn't seem right. And mm. the people got very upset for no reason. Or they got upset for that reason, but I think a lot of people wanted the happy ending. And, you know, so they're wrong there. And they're also wrong for not seeing that all these issues were present in season seven, which was also terrible. There's yeah. only, you know, two seasons I've never rewatched. And those are the two seasons. Yeah. Six, Honestly, eight, but... for me, when I watched it, because I didn't care, because I know that I understood that there were these issues of like plots and poor, poor plot structures and all that stuff. But it was for me when I was watching it, I didn't care about that stuff. It was just an interesting show and it was fun. And there was like enough of general continuity that it was fun and decent for me, even all the way up to season seven. Although there were points where I was just like, oh, it sucks. This is boring, blah, blah, blah. And for me, because of that, I didn't have that as much of like a critical stake in it. And so I was hyped for season eight. I was expecting something like a massive war with the what uh, I knew season, the, I, I was dreading season eight because I knew it would be bad. And then the I, first I, I, episode was somewhat decent. And well, then the, the second the, episode well, was terrible. Yeah. Like that I, was the worst was episode just, I'd ever seen. Again, I didn't I didn't I didn't have and then this the third episode was the one where everyone hated. Yeah, like, I, I, I didn't have this massive stake in it. And so I was just at least expecting I don't care as long as they're like a massive drawn out war with this undead invasion and they go all the way into Westeros and there's like struggles, lots of battles, losses, lots of people die. And then eventually there's a climactic victory at some point. I don't know. And then maybe like after that, there's a final war between like the, the, the remaining humans or whatever. I was still going to be hyped for that. I was going to be epic only to see what was it? Was it episode two where, Ep um, where the, they were defeated. Episode two was the episode where nothing happened. I think it was episode. So it was episode, episode three. three where the, the 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 invasion was stopped because the main guy was killed. Like when I saw and that, here's a fun fact: the show invented that character. The night the Night King was an invention of the show. Is not in the books. Really? So was there no like head of the undead invasion or correct? There's no there's oh, okay. no established head. Like they're not they're called the others in the books, but right. for all we know, they're just individualistic zombies. They're right. not. And they command these little skull things called whites, which are like the skulls. Or the others, you know, have do more damage to you permanently. Right. But and then the yeah. whites are, you know, just undead bodies like you see in Skyrim. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Draugr. So I was, I was, so I was, but, I was hyped. But then I still remember I was watching it. Um, and when I saw just Arya Stark just appear from the shadow and stab him, or like he, he grabs her and she drops a knife and stabs him in the stomach. And he just dies. I'm just like, is that it? No, no, that can't be it. And then just over a few minutes, it dawns on me. Oh my word. It's over in the first battle. What? This threat built up from the first scene. In the every first character. Of the first season. And it's over in the first engagement. What? And then all the characters survived. And all the good, yeah, all the popular characters survive. What the heck? <laughs> I just hate it. Like, there's so many things I hate about that episode. You give someone who's never fought in a battle command. Like, Brianna Tarth has never fought in a battle, but she was given command yeah. over, like, one of the flanks. It's like, yeah, why? She's a lowborn, or not lowborn. She was highborn knight, but, like, no oh, significant, and, no battles ever fought. Don't get me started. I mean, like, look, I, I think... I think some people, to preface this, I think some people are too, like, 
when some people see shows with battle, like fantasy shows or fictional shows with battles and all that, and they see a commander make like a really bad tactical decision, they like to say, "Oh, that's such like a that's such like a bad plot point." It's like, no, that that stuff happens in real life. Like bad yeah, tactical does. happen in real life. So it's very I'm rare. Not quick to ascribe, so I'm not quick to ascribe bad plot writing to bad tactical decisions. That can happen. But even then, was that in the books? Like the Dothraki head on charge? Was that in the books? Or nah? No, they haven't gone. Oh no, oh, no, sorry. It wasn't even written. What am I saying? It's not even written yet. <laughs> so so that was a show decision. So when they decided that, even for me, I was like, are you guys serious? You they're light sent, infantry. Or they're light you cavalry. You literally sent your light cavalry men. Oh, they had flaming swords. What do you freaking do? You sent them head on into a wall of darkness. Like you, even us people watching the show, that was another criticism of it. Like, it was well, they survived. Dark, don't, you, don't you remember? They survived that. Oh yeah! Oh no no no! You're thinking of the um, well, some in of the next did. episodes the they were back. I remember that being an issue with the um the unsullied. That's it. Like you could see in that battle, like the unsullied were they were, they were holding the wall, but they were just getting like down by the droves, by line after line, just dropping. Suddenly, you see after King's Landing is taken, and you see like these big legions of unsullied. Like, ah, uh, I'm sorry, where's the spawn point for new unsullied? Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> A lot of issues, and bells have never been known to surrender. Mean surrender. <laughs> anyway, um, line from the show. Anglicanism. But uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, show actually pulled off the same thing as Game of Thrones, but much better. What? Babylon Five. It had an existential plot line and then a political plot line. Okay. In their fourth season, they concluded both well, e- excellently. Okay. So I, I recommend good. checking that out. It's '90s sci-fi, but. It's, I, I'd say Babylon 5 is better than Star Trek The Next Generation. That's a hot take, probably. That's but a very hot take, yeah. I think the Star Trek The Next Generation is actually overrated. They have too many bad, horrendous episodes to be considered a great show. They have great moments, but as a show, you had a clip episode in, that, in the second season, which the first season was already kind of rough, and then the seventh season is so awful until the finale, which is actually really good. So they have way too many bad episodes right. to consider it a great series in the Dothraki or not, not Dothraki. The Klingon civil war in next generation was a huge disappointment for me. So, okay. I, but Fair Babylon enough. five does kind of does a lot of the same. I, I think does a lot of it better. Does a lot of sci- science fiction better. Um, so, and it does, anyway. it, it was an influencer on uh, Game of Thrones probably. Want to talk about Anglicanism again? Like conclude it? <laughs> I, I think we're ready to conclude. Uh, we had yeah. our divergence. Now, I, I think I checked out your, I, I did check out your stream on like, uh, what was it a uh, Crusader Kings 3? Oh yeah. Because I was interested in getting that game and then I saw you talking about like, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, let me check this out. But. Uh, oh, it's fun. You're it's trying to make funny. the Eastern Romans great again? My uh, my personal editor, I've got a guy who's volunteered in services as like an editor because I, I can do it myself, but it's just too much time. So he can he does a lot of highlight edits for me and he has just, I'm about to check it now, but he's just finished a highlights edit for that stream. And so I'm going to put that up on my gaming YouTube channel. So uh, it's, it's going to be good, I'm expecting, because he does a good job, very good job. All right. And that's the first episode. I need, to, I need to schedule actually the second episode of that series. Um, Today's Friday. I could possibly even, possibly even do it. Oh, maybe not tomorrow. I'm not sure. Probably not. Actually, no. I possibly could if I want. Um, but yeah, the you know the the aim of that series, you know, establish the supremacy of Pastor Jim's Bible Church over medieval Europe. Absolutely, let's get it happening. 
and, yeah. and Stephen Anderson, as you've probably seen, Stephen Anderson has already conquered Rome and taken the papal tiara, yes. so it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> so I want to let you know, uh, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary mystery. You can support it by liking the video and subscribing to the channel if you're new. That's the least you can do. Bare minimum. But the most you can do is we have a Patreon-like system at evangelicaldarkweb.org. I, you know, and you get extra benefits, more content. I just added a law a lawsuit tracker because there's a lot of lawsuits I've been covering. So I'm trying to create a central hub to like, okay, what's the latest on this lawsuit, that lawsuit, that lawsuit. So far I got three. Um, Alabama looks like they're trying to scam you when it comes to getting information on court cases. Like it's like $9 for a pop, like each time you search or whatever. And it's like, well, how do I just get a lifetime for tracking a case? I don't know, but it's like, they seem, I you know, there's a certain stereotype about lawyers being from a certain ethnic group, and Alabama is proving that to be the case. So, like, um, wait, who do you have to pay just to be able to track lawsuits? Like, Alabama, their individual court, their circuit court to get the court documents, but it's like super illogical. It's like, in, how about it? In Australia, in Australia, we have a term for that. It's called revenue raising. When yeah, I mean, they, particularly, it's particularly for like when they add fines or charges for like like fines for like the most stupid things, and it's clearly just it's just revenue raising. That's all they're doing. Yeah, I actually like this. You know, this is one thing the state of Maryland gets right is that you can get on, you can go on Maryland Judiciary Case Search. You can look that up, and you can search any name, a case number, and it tells you, and it's free. Yeah. But all these other states, you know, they're very cryptic about it. They're very cryptic about public records like crime and background Honestly, checks. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it is, it is ridiculous. And then, uh, and it's just super expensive. But I'm going to try and, you know, put some effort into that. And we got more stuff, more content behind the paywall. But otherwise, the newsletter, also completely free. And you get the news in your inbox. Uh, plug your stuff. Uh, 100%. Um, yep. The other Paul, I am actually soon considering a brand name change. I'm going to keep the other Paul persona, obviously. So you'll still see that in streams and other things. But otherwise, for my overall brand, I'm, I'm tending to change it to something a bit more like third-person objective, like professional, because um, I do want this to be like a like a good, respectable like brand and ministry in that. So uh, that'll be happening sometime. I'm still, I pride myself on being very good with coming Anglican up Anglican with- Dark Web. Honestly, the, honestly, yeah, that 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 that'd be something. That could be something. But I'm normally very good at coming up with good names for things. And I literally made the other poll, and that's it's so good. It's literally become like a trend. You see the other Philip here, but you even got a ton of others you can find, like the other James, the other Caleb on my server. Just randomly, a bunch of people adopted, like the other Aaron, the other Daniel, and and just random stuff everywhere. But um, but yeah, it's it's actually hard for me to come up with names. So I'm still trying to think of it. Um, but yeah, that'll be happening. But otherwise, you can still find me, The Other Paul, on YouTube. You can find my website, theotherpaul64.com. And importantly, you can also support me on Subscribestar. So you can just find me there, search The Other Paul, you'll find me. Get really cool benefits uh, for different tiers of support. Um, and yeah, that's me. Yeah. All righty. Uh, otherwise, have a blessed night, and we will catch you on the next one. <laughs>